0: Welcome to How They Train. I'm Jack Kelly, and today we are joined by Olympic marathoner, world champs representative, coach, physiotherapist, dog mum, and local at the Aries Endlet Pub, Ali Pashley. Ali, how's it going?
1: Hi, Jack. Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure. Hey, uh, today I got you on just because I love your story. Like your story is probably one of my favorites in in the running world. But before we go too deeply into it, maybe just um, can you give us all a a little bit of an insight into what your training looks like at the moment?
1: Yeah. So uh, I'm in a bit of a weird patch at the moment. So I'm training for Melbourne Marathon. Well, that was the plan, but I actually got a bit sick a couple of weeks ago. So I've had a bit of an interrupted few weeks of training, but basically after the olympics i had two weeks off in hotel quarantine and then once i got out i started building back up again and i got my mileage back up to 160 k's or so um and i was just antsy to race i think uh i still felt relatively fit coming off the olympics and yeah so i tried to talk jules into letting me run melbourne which was good in theory at the time, something to aim for, but, um, yeah, I've had a not great couple of weeks. So I'm just trying to work out at the moment, whether I'm going to be fit enough on the start line in four weeks or whether I need to sort of readjust and maybe look at a marathon next year.
0: Yeah. Um, so how long ago, so you raced the, the marathon at, at the Tokyo Olympics, obviously, how long ago was that race?
1: Uh, that was about 12 weeks ago now.
0: Yeah. And so you came straight off that and was it was there a reason why you just thought, okay, I want to get straight back into training for something?
1: Uh, I pulled up really well from Tokyo. So normally I, I don't pull up well from marathons. I'm quite sore for a while. And uh, I, I feel like when I get back into training, it often takes me quite a long time to get fit again. But after this one, I think just because it was slightly slower because of the heat uh, and all of the training and strength work I'd done in the lead up I actually wasn't really sore after the race so by the time like we had sort of two weeks forced rest in quarantine and by the time I got out of there I was really antsy to get going again and I was able to sort of get back into training a little more quickly than usual and I felt like my fitness uh, as well was probably came back quicker than it usually does after a marathon.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I, I reckon what maybe like we do is take us into, into your build up into the Tokyo Olympics then, because it sounds like, I don't know, maybe you were just really fit after that. So you've obviously put in a, a good block and um, you had a really good performance there that day. I think was it 23rd you came?
1: Yeah. 23rd. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So how did your training look like before the Olympics in your lead up?
1: Yeah, so, like, I mean, it it was the biggest race of my life, obviously, so I really put everything into it, and it was the best block of training I've ever done, so I was quite lucky that, uh, so Julian, my coach, and Bree, his wife, uh, and myself, we actually went away because Tokyo was going to be so hot, and we were going to be in the middle of winter down here in Victoria, which as victorian listeners will know is not <laughs> not ideal for training for a hot marathon so we went up to queensland and spent so initially i went to cairns actually with the team and we did a one week block where we just trialed some nutrition things and got a little bit of a taste of the heat there and then i came home then went back to the sunshine coast with jules and brie And Jost, my husband, sort of came and went a little bit. And we spent, I think, seven weeks there training um, with nothing else going on. Like I I really wanted to take a break from work just so that I could put everything into it. You know, I was able to recover all day between my runs. We did uh, heat preparation work using a sauna, hot bath, uh, a few different methods there. Also running around Noosa, rugged up in layers and layers. And, yeah, the idea was to do uh, all of the big stuff there. And then the final three weeks before we flew to Tokyo, I went to Cairns to the team holding camp. So that was, again, we went back up a little hotter again just to, to do that final prep, which is when your mileage sort of starts to taper off anyway. So, um, yeah, I did like some of the biggest weeks that I've ever done. I was fairly consistently running sort of between 150 and 100. And maybe 68 or so k's, And yeah, like it just felt, it felt quite easy. I was, we didn't, we were a bit cautious with mileage. We didn't want to run too much more than that because of the added heat stress we were bringing into it. So uh, Jules, I guess was quite conscious of not overdoing it, but I think just without anything else happening, like, you know, no socializing, no work, (laughs) know anything it was actually very manageable and yeah so I felt I felt really good by the end of that block and yeah I think it was you know I always have a couple of shockers in a in a marathon block there's one or two sessions that go pear-shaped and same thing happened again but yeah the vast majority of my sessions went really well and overall I got a good solid uh, 12-week lead into the Olympics which was good no injuries or anything
0: yeah. So in, in those blocks, when you're doing sort of 150 to 170K a week, how is that broken down? Like what, how much of that is just easy jogging? What sort of sessions were you doing and how many were you doing a long run every week and what did that look like?
1: Yeah. So usually when I'm at home uh, in doing a marathon block, it's structured to fit in with a training group. So it, it will be either a Wednesday, Thursday, midweek, a high volume workout and then a Sunday long run with um, a workout incorporated into it. But this time we did it a little differently. So because we didn't have to fit in with anybody else, basically it was, and it changed as we went, but it was set up so that, yeah, the idea was we did a, a workout of some sort. And then depending on how big the workout was, we worked out how many recovery days I would need before my next big workout or session so it it wasn't like a normal weekly structure so I could do a workout or a long run on any day of the week basically and I think some days we probably like maybe I even had a little too much recovery time between I felt like I could have gone a day earlier just because I had so much more recovery hours within a day than I normally would um that I felt like I was pulling up quite well from a lot of them and I had a couple of races in there too that we had to try and fit in so I did a 10k in Launceston and I was supposed to do the Gold Coast half marathon which ended up getting cancelled but so yeah it was all sort of structured to fit in around those as well so that I um particularly Gold Coast half I wanted to taper properly for and have a good hit out there so the long runs were kind of, you know, far enough away from those races that they weren't going to affect it because we did quite a few runs that were sort of between 34 and 40K.
0: Yeah. And with your training, um, obviously you've talked about how you're coached by Julian Spence, who himself is a pretty good runner, a World Champs Marathon representative. Do you guys work out your training together? Is it collaborative or is it just Jules says to you, hey, do this and you do it?
1: Yeah, I think historically it's been Jules says, do this and I do it. This block there was... Probably like he's pretty uh, open to my feedback and input these days. I think just probably we know each other so well, you know, we've spent so much time together. And yeah, so he, he was pretty, he's always pretty keen to hear my feedback. I mean, he's definitely the mastermind behind it all and basically still writes the program. But, you know, there might be the odd day where, like I'll say you know, I think this is a bit too hard, or I think this is, I could do a bit more than that, or I could, I could bring the session forward today, or, you know, whatever. And so, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of collaboration there, but yeah, he's definitely still the one that, that comes up with the sessions and puts it like lays it all out. And he, he laid out all my heat work as well to fit in around it and easy runs. Yeah. Even he writes down, you know, distance for my easy runs and doubles as well. And like, you know, we'll sometimes play around with them a little bit, but, the vast majority of it is, yeah, they're put on paper by him, and I just do it with the occasional adjustment where we need to.
0: Yeah, and and what um what sort of like training philosophies do you think you you guys work off? Like, do you have um any particular philosophies that dictate what you do?
1: Yeah, I feel like so Jules before, so he started coaching me in 2016, and I feel like up until that point, he'd sort of formulated his own philosophy based off. I mean, he reads and studies what other coaches and groups are doing. He tried quite a few different methods on himself in his marathon preps, you know, in the years up until that point. So he, I guess, has developed his own philosophy, which the, the basics of it are still the same as they were in 2016. I mean, you know, we've sort of tried different things as we go Um along the way and there's probably some aspects that have become a little more scientific and then some aspects that have become a little more experience-based as well but it's definitely a a strength endurance style of training so particularly in our marathon blocks we do a lot of high volume sessions uh at marathon pace or you know, longer workouts at sort of threshold pace uh, or somewhere in between half marathon and marathon pace. So the vast majority of our work is slower than VO2 pace, but yeah, it's a little more like, I would say that compared to others, we, I think we do fairly, you know, fairly high mileage, but we don't do sessions as frequently. So we Jules is really big on respecting recovery between workouts so we don't I mean the traditional Australian method was you you might do three workouts a week and a long run uh, they were slower volume sort of shorter faster workouts whereas ours are less frequent but longer more endurance based and then when we're outside of a marathon block I think we we do sort of a mix of the two so we will still generally only do two workouts a week so Tuesday Friday um, with a Sunday long run our long run will be fairly long. And well, for me, it's fairly hard trying to keep up with the boys, but yeah, our Tuesday, Friday sessions, we've got sort of adequate recovery between them, but again, they're probably higher volume. So, you know, Tuesday might be a, a track session, but there'll be at least eight K worth of work there. And then Fridays is anywhere between sort of 30 minutes and, you know, like 50 minutes worth of worth of work at sort of tempo threshold pace. So Yeah. That makes
0: it, does that make sense? <laughs> that actually makes perfect sense, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting because like us being Australians, we really are brought up to believe that, uh, well, if you're in the running world, that Tuesday night you do a session, Thursday night you do a session, even Saturday you do a session, and then Sunday you do a long run. And, and I, I, I also think inside that method is like you jog pretty fast for your, for your easy days too, but it does sound like you guys, are, like you and Julian in particular, Uh, Maybe do your easy runs a bit slower and and more frequently and and yeah, like uh, more of a focus on like specificity and doing sessions uh, less regularly, but that are more targeted towards the event you're doing than surrounded by a, a lot of volume. Would you say that's pretty much like how you would sum it up?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, I think probably when we're in a general block training for races that are anywhere from 5k to half marathon, there's the odd session that's specific to those events, but a lot of that training is fairly similar. Um, but definitely our marathon blocks are are different and more specific to the marathon. So that's, that's when there is a real shift in, in the style of training we do. And and we still try to touch on all systems. So, you know, Jules will still throw a 400 reps workout at me in the middle of a marathon block or, you know, some K reps or, but the vast majority of them are, are, yeah, more marathon specific. And we definitely jog slow. I think we run slow compared to other people. But yeah, I think I've always kind of done
0: that. So I always thought you guys jogged slow as well. But then um, I remember, I think maybe it was you who told me the story about how you were in Switzerland in the build up to maybe world champs from, from memory. And you guys were jogging um, along a trail and then a group of I'm not sure which country, um, one of the East African countries, you guys were both doing an easy jog on the same trail and, and your group ran past them doing like four minute K's and they were running like five thirty, six minute K's and you thought, oh, maybe we do need a (laughs) jog even slower.
1: Yeah. So we'd actually been running with, we'd been running with the other girls. Um, like the MTC girls doing an easy run and they, they run quite fast. I'll say, compared to myself and we, we were doing a little bit further, I think. And we, so we kept going straight and they turned around and went the other way. And Jules said to me, Oh, let's slow down a bit. Like I think they're running too fast, blah, blah, blah. You know, we really need to keep our easy days, easy, blah, blah, blah. And then we came up behind a group of Ethiopians who, um, yeah, I think they were training for Berlin marathon perhaps at the time. And we went flying past them. So they were, like you said, literally, they would have been running five thirties like, and you see that when you see a lot of the East African countries when they're out jogging or when they're warming up and cooling down from sessions, they really run very slowly. But yeah, then obviously the difference when they then get out for a workout or a race, they, (laughs) they really know how to uh, run fast. So it's interesting the different ways of doing things.
0: Yeah. I reckon there's definitely something to be like learned from that though, isn't there?
1: Yeah, I think so. Like it, it, yeah, you, you just, I, to me, I don't think I get anything out of Other than running a faster long run, I, I do think I get a lot of benefit out of that. But if I'm not recovering between sessions, my sessions are just garbage. So I get a lot more out of running slow on those days and then showing up to a session, actually feeling like I've got something to give. <laughs> Whereas if I run too fast every day, I just run myself into the ground and yeah, I don't really get much out of it.
0: Yeah. Also though, Phil, I reckon for as long as I've known you, you, I don't, up until maybe recently, I don't think you've ever had an injury. So maybe there's something in that as well that, that you do jog a little bit slower and respect recovery.
1: Yeah, I've been pretty lucky with injuries. Um, I had a foot injury in 2020 and I had a very mild hamstring strain actually at the start of this year, just before I started my marathon block for Tokyo. But yeah I've been I've been pretty lucky and the the foot injury last year was absolutely a result of me overdoing it it was just after the Olympics got postponed and I went from mindset of doing everything right like I talked about before really keeping my recovery days easy to I was like racing sessions against Blake
0: <laughs>
1: oh, of um running too fast on easy day like I just wasn't I'd sort of was a bit more relaxed I guess with my approach but what it meant was that I yeah I just kind of cooked it because I was I think I was just a little bit bored and maybe unsettled by the whole Olympics being postponed thing and I was just pushing too hard and Mm. um yeah I came unstuck there so yeah I've learned from that
0: yeah, I, I want to go back um, before I forget, you, you were talking about how the block you had at Noosa pre-Olympics was, was really good. Can you remember, was there one session there um, where you just thought, oh, I, I'm on here?
1: Yeah, I did. Uh, the day that Gold Coast Marathon was cancelled, uh, we decided to do a 20K tempo. So the idea was sort of to run marathon effort for 20k and I think also I'd had a, a taper week leading into Gold Coast because it only got cancelled a couple of days before so I'd had a light week I'd, I think I was all of the um training was sort of just starting to catch up with me so I hadn't felt great until that point and yeah I ran uh 323 pace for 20ks and it just felt comfortable and that I'd never done a long tempo that fast before I don't think and I'd certainly never done a workout where it felt like that so that was yeah that was probably a day where I thought oh I think I am actually potentially fitter than I've ever been before just with yeah with the way that it felt and so that was a good good confidence boost so that was about five weeks out from the Olympics I think
0: yeah 323 for 20ks is, is like crazy quick did, when you when you did that did you think I can hold this pace at the Olympics?
1: Yeah, I di- I actually I mean I, I well, not not at the Olympics because we always knew that it was going to be warmer. But it did it did make me feel like on a you know a marathon that was perfect cold, fast, flat that I was in PB shape and that I could probably run a decent PB because I don't know whether I could hold 323 pace. I mean, there's a big difference between the way that you feel at 20K to the way that you feel at 30K in a marathon. So it's sort of hard to say, but I certainly felt like I was I was running paces that were a lot quicker than I'd done previously for some of those big marathon workouts. So I felt like I I had a minute or two that I could have taken off my marathon time at that point if the, the race was sort of going to be conducive to that, which, you know, the Olympic marathon wasn't obviously, but mm. um, yeah.
0: And um, so that 20K tempo at marathon pace, what were, you'd obviously progressed towards that. What were those progressions? So what similar sessions had you done in the weeks previous?
1: Um, I'll just have a quick look. <laughs> <laughs> I can't really remember. I remember we we usually sort of start with sessions that are sort of smaller reps. So maybe things like four by three K, I'd had a big session early on that I think was a little too hard and I wasn't quite ready for it. It was a uh, mile on mile off sort of marathon effort float for, I think it was for 32K or something in the 38K run, but I, I felt like I wasn't quite ready for that at that stage Um, So that one didn't go well, I actually blew up a bit at the end. And the idea was to run about three twenty fives for that. That's
0: a huge session.
1: Yeah. And then I'd done a couple of 10 mile tempos, um, progressive tempos, uh, where I'd sort of done 10 mile or so and cut down sort of from starting slower than marathon pace and then cut down to, yeah, I think some of them I was cutting down to like 315 or 312 even by the end so I was feeling quite good in a lot of the longer workouts what else I'm just trying to think three by 5k at 325 pace I did that a couple of weeks before the Gold Coast one yeah just lots of progressive runs or marathon pace intervals within long runs
0: yeah do you enjoy that kind of training like if if you weren't specifically training for the marathon at the Olympics, is that the kind of training you would do anyway because you enjoy it or is it you just do it because you know that's what's going to help you get the result and you actually enjoy you know other sessions, other ways of, of training much more?
1: No, I love that type of training. I, I I think for me that long, slower stuff is what works. I'm a very aerobic person, but I also actually really enjoy it. I find it... I think my, my strengths as a runner are in those longer tempos and long workouts, whereas I'm very unimpressive on the track. Like, you know, my 1k rep pace, 400 meter rep pace is, yeah, I really don't have much (laughs) change of pace from sort of my 10k half marathon pace to any faster. So yeah, I think, um, I mean, like it was all very new to me when I first started working with Julian and running marathons, but pretty early on, I I grew to love the, the long runs with workouts within them and the longer tempos and more marathon paced sessions.
0: Yeah. So how old were you when you started working with Jules?
1: Uh, It was in 2016. So I think I was 26 or 27. And I decided I was training. i decided I'd been overseas. I think came back was really unfit and I decided I was going to run a marathon. Okay.
0: Just to get rid of the Kentucky weight.
1: Yeah. I was like, I'm getting older. I need to just stop being a wuss and do a marathon. <laughs> so that I decided to sign up for Melbourne in October of that year. And then I said to Jules, Hey, can you coach me? I'm... And he was, he was like, I will, but you have to stick to it. Cause historically I hadn't been like very uh, dedicated to running or Mm. following a program so he yeah and I knew that I needed him to make me to do that because I knew he'd be really firm and he wouldn't let me get away with just like you know not showing up for long runs and things like that so um, I think by that stage I was ready to commit and I knew I was ready to commit but I knew I needed someone like him to be firm and I obviously I'd sort of spent so much time with him and listen to him speaking about training. And I had a huge amount of respect for him as a coach without at that stage, like he was hardly really even coaching anyone, but yeah. So 2016, we started working together.
0: Yeah. And before that, do you even remember, like do you remember what sort of training you were doing and how seriously were you taking your running?
1: Yeah. So I went in patches when I was still living in Aubrey, when I was at uni there, there was a group, called Vogels Vixens that they used to meet and do track sessions and long runs and I used to occasionally go and do that with them so I think it was a track session on a Tuesday Uh, long runs I never really went to because they used to go at six o'clock in the morning and they used to run (laughs) much further than what (laughs) I ever ran and I was also playing netball at the time so it was a little bit of a juggle and I was yeah I just wasn't wasn't very committed basically but then when I moved to Geelong again I was you know I was running I worked with Jules at the running company and we used to run together I would go to the track as we sort of started to form a bit of a group I used to I used to go down to the track and do sessions but again like not really doing long runs and a little bit sporadic with my commitment to sessions and even I wasn't running every day or anything like that. So I had like a very, I had this base that I guess was gradually built from, from my teenage years all the way through to that sort of 26, 27 years old. And probably each year I did a little more, but yeah, there was certainly it went in ebbs and flows of, yeah, I'd sort of get into it for a bit, but I, I never stood on the start line of a race. Up until that year, Melbourne Marathon, I never stood on the start line of a race thinking, "Yep, I've actually trained hard for this. I've committed. I've done what I needed to do." So I never had that confidence until the the first marathon I did, and I actually felt more relaxed than I ever had before a race because I was like, "Yep, I've actually done the work this time." And yeah, I get that was a feeling that was, I think, sort of kept me going because I it was so enjoyable to stand on a start line feeling prepared. And yeah, from then on, I was pretty dedicated.
0: And, um, had you ever had like the idea of like, Hey, I want to do this seriously. And I I see myself as potentially being, you know, a professional runner who goes to the Olympics or did that just sort of come about over time when you realize, Oh, I'm not actually too bad at this stuff. Once I've uh, committed.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, the Olympics was probably something that was always, um, like seemed beyond my reach. I definitely always thought, like I could tell from a young age that running for a long time was kind of my strength in all, all sports. And I always knew in the back of my mind that if I actually committed and trained properly, I could be a lot better than what I was. I was always like a mediocre sort of runner. And I, I'd i see some of the girls that I was running against and I, I knew that they were doing, you know, running over hundred Ks a week and doing track sessions and doing long runs and I I always had a level of curiosity about what I could achieve if I actually did that and stuck to it but I had to wait until I wanted to do it I think I was you know I was at uni and I like Aubrey wasn't at the time Aubrey's got a really good running community now but at the time it wasn't really a big sport there it was very much footy netball orientated and I think I just needed to be around the right people and, and be ready. So I probably needed to get through that, you know, uni, have fun, go overseas and travel phase, get that out of my system. And then I was ready to right now I'm going to be a really boring runner and (laughs) do nothing fun anymore and just run all the time. And yeah, so I think I, I knew in the back of my mind that I had potential to be better than I was, but yeah, I certainly didn't think I was going to be going to the Olympics.
0: I think that's one of the really um like likable things about you is uh when you train. So I've obviously trained with you a little bit, and um when you're when you're just out running, talking to you, you just get this huge vibe that I'm running with, you know, one of the best uh, Australian distance runners of all time. But I th- I feel like I'm talking to that that girl at uni who just wants to have some fun and and would love to go to the pub after after we finish this run and have a few drinks and talk about. Pretty much everything that isn't running and you know I reckon if you planned like a, cont- a contiki tour that was fun enough you could probably convince her to come sort of thing.
1: <laughs> I don't know about these days maybe 10 years ago. <laughs> oh. It's funny I've definitely shifted like I I think I used to be very balanced and I probably used to talk about things outside of running a lot more than I do now. I I, I definitely feel like I've changed and I'm now a full-blown boring runner.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't have any other hobbies or anything anymore. But um, yeah, I think earlier on, I, I definitely had a very balanced life, but I think I had too much balance to actually achieve anything. And I kind of worked that out eventually and decided I wasn't satisfied with just doing a bit of everything and having fun. And I didn't really feel like I was getting anywhere, if that makes sense. And yeah. I needed to yeah shift that a little and actually put some effort into something and see what I could do.
0: Yeah. You were, um, you're you're always notorious for uh, leaving your Sunday long run until three, 4 PM. Uh, that's what, that's probably one of my first memories of you. Yeah. In the
1: early days I was pretty bad and I had a few, like even in my first marathon block, I did a few switcheroos where I moved the Sunday long run to Saturday because I had something on Saturday night. Um, <laughs> and yeah. Oh, the, Putting off those long runs is just never a good idea, but never. For some reason it seems like a good idea at the time. But yeah, that that's something that I haven't done for years now. I've kind of learnt that yeah, 4 p.m. Sunday long runs are are not good and just get up at seven o'clock on Sunday morning and do them then with the group. It's a far better
0: option. There's only there's only so many times you can sort of have a few drinks on a Saturday night, have a full day of eating on a Sunday and, and run on a Sunday afternoon and have to take two toilet stops and reconsider like you know everything in your life before you <laughs> so, okay i'm going to be a bit, a bit more serious now
1: yeah yeah and i think it that was the tricky transition time for me where i i really wanted to run and i really wanted to do it properly but i still you know had that other life happening as well and it, i really had i basically had to um and which happens naturally as you get older anyway you know you don't have things on every saturday night anymore and you Happy to go to things and not drink as much and um yeah, I think it running got a lot easier once uh that all died down, so yeah
0: yeah so so with that now is sort of everything you do in your day to day life focused on being the best runner you can be um like are you really particular with the way you eat, the way you sleep, the way you recover you do you know do you go to the gym, all of that yeah,
1: I think so, I think um. That was something that in the, like probably the two years or 12 months leading into the Olympics, I think that was how I became and everything was leading into that one event and sleep I was really anal about. I feel like I need a lot of sleep and I my training's really effective if I'm not getting enough sleep. Nutrition, I like I started working with a dietitian just to make sure I was getting enough of everything and my fueling for sessions, long runs was all adequate and i mean i've never been super anal about what i eat as far as like i definitely love junk food and i'm i don't think there's anything wrong with i I almost think when you're running the amount that i do you need a bit of junk food to top up on calories but um you know i guess everything was planned out to make sure i was getting enough and i'm having things you know 15 minutes after i do a run or a workout to replace what i've lost and Yeah, basically, my days were structured around my training. So, you know, I wasn't, if I'm going out for dinner, then I have to make sure I get my second run in before I do that. And it's all, it was all very much like that. I felt like after the Olympics, I needed a break from thinking like that. I don't think, yeah, that's something that I can do all the time. I know some athletes can do that 12 months of the year, every year, everything revolves around you know, optimizing their training and performance. But I feel like I need, yeah, little breaks from that being so serious and so structured because I don't necessarily think I'm naturally a very structured person. But, yeah, gym, like I did gym twice a week, every week for the whole year. Um, I did activation exercises before runs, which was something that I'd probably never really done before. And, yeah, I was very dedicated to the cause, but I've been a little more relaxed since August.
0: Yeah. um, So with sleep, how many hours of sleep are you aiming to get a night? And like, do you have a a sleep routine? And how just, yeah, just how anal are you about it?
1: Yeah. So my main thing is that I don't get up early and run. (laughs) And I don't usually agree to runs before eight o'clock in the morning because I don't go to bed super early, although lately I've been going to bed pretty early. So I try to get like nine hours of sleep a night. Yeah, right. I don't sleep during the day. I'm not a person that can nap, but yeah, I'm pretty like, it's pretty rare that I would get less than eight hours a night and I usually try to get nine.
0: Yeah. And how big an impact do you think that has on performance? Like say if you start having like a few nights of bad sleep or not as much sleep, do you notice it? Or do you just think that it's a long-term thing that, that helps with recovery and, and therefore adaptation to the training you're doing?
1: Yeah. I, I feel a lot better running when I'm getting enough sleep. My heart rate's lower, Uh, Probably the main thing I notice though is I get sick if I don't get enough. And I think like when I'm full training load, you're probably riding that line with your immune system of like, well, you're basically always riding the line of overdoing it. And I I feel like my immune system is just quite temperamental to that. So if I, you know, have a few nights in a row where I don't sleep well and then somebody's baby coughs on me. (laughs) (laughs) I'll one hundred percent get sick.
0: <laughs>
1: um, whereas if I get adequate sleep, I never ever get sick. Like I, until this thing I had a couple of weeks ago, I hadn't been sick for years. Yeah, because wow. because I was so anal about about sleep. I think. Yeah,
0: and um, and do you think that sleep's the only factor in that, or do you think like you also you say you you eat a bit of junk, but you eat pretty healthy as well, don't you?
1: Yeah, I think nutrition's really like really important for that immunity side of things too, and. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm pretty good at getting enough of everything that I need. And I, I've had some iron deficiency issues, but that's really the only nutrient that I've ever had any issues with. So yeah, I think, I think that plays into it as well. And also managing your training load too. Like if you're, if you're getting sick all the time and, you know, missing training, then like potentially you're actually just doing too much and then it's going to affect your overall consistency. So maybe you're better off just backing off that load 10%, 20% to try and keep yourself healthy so that you can get the consistent training in.
0: Yeah. And a bit of a personal question. So, you know, you don't have to answer if you don't want, but it's one I'm also like, I'm just always really fascinated by it um, because there's such a fine line or it seems from the outside that there's such a, a fine line for female endurance athletes, maybe particularly runners and their weight and how it affects performance in a positive and a negative way, whether it be like the mental side of it, you know, leading to some issues there or whether it is just the physical side and getting sick or having iron deficiency or whatever it is. But then the, the, the other side of it where, where, you know, you're a long distance runner and, and being lighter is generally better. Do you focus on that at all? Or is it just a consequence of your training and your diet or how much do you actually think about it? And and when you're leading into a race, do you sort of want to race at particular weights or you don't care?
1: Yeah, no, the the main thing I'm probably conscious of is not getting too light. Um, When your mileage goes up in a marathon block, I, I feel like your body does almost just shed weight and it's, it's something that I think as a female in particular, you do have to be really careful about that you don't get get too lean. I don't think I've ever actually really been at that point. Working with Jess, the dietitian, like there was, she felt like I perhaps was under fueling slightly for a while there when I first started working with her. But it was more that my timing, like I wasn't really changing what I ate from day to day. So the days where I had a bigger training load, I probably wasn't you know, chalking up my carbs enough to to account for that. And yeah, it was like it, you know, I was only just sort of below what she wanted me to be at. But I I mean, I think as a girl, you're really lucky too, because there's a very obvious sign of underfueling. Like if you lose your period, then straight away you know that something's not right. So it's sometimes a bit harder for guys in that way to know if they're doing that. But yeah, that that's something I've never had any issues with. And I think my lack of injury history is probably also been because I've been fairly conscious of never never getting too lean or too light. I probably usually operate, you know, a kilo or two heavier than than when I'm racing a big race, but it's not really something that I consciously try to do. I think it's something that just naturally happens in a big training block. I do just shed a little bit of weight. And then naturally when I have a break afterwards or you know run sort of lower mileage for a bit, then I, I put on a bit of weight. So it's yeah in the before the Olympics I was pretty conscious of it with the the heat work we were doing the um, guy Sam from South Australia who was helping us with that he told me to weigh myself each day just to make sure that I wasn't dropping too much weight because that can happen when you're doing that extra extra heat work so that was probably handy and that I did keep an eye on that leading into the Olympics and yeah I was I was able to keep all that very stable so yeah but it's certainly an issue for a lot of female long distance runners and you see, yeah, you see it happen regularly where people s- start going really well and then, yeah, they sort of fall into that reds category and then, you know, injuries, performance decline, all of that follows. So, yeah, something to be mindful of.
0: Yeah. And and listening to the way you talk about that, it's just such a, a ba- it just, well, it sounds like you just have such a, a sort of balanced and, and healthy approach to it, which, you know, I think a lot of people could take something from because you have really been super consistent over quite a long period of time now. And it's, it's led to a huge amount of success for you. I dare say that if you were focusing on weight and, and trying to get lighter to get, you know, like an increased performance quicker that you probably wouldn't be in the position you're you're in now.
1: Yeah. I just think, yeah, if you're, if you're sort of riding that line or if even sitting, you know, just, going too far with that stuff then you're never going to get consistent years of training in because you're going to you're going to get injuries and then that like if you if your ultimate goal is performance then that's not the way to do it even if you know there's obviously like power to weight ratio benefits of being lean as a as a long distance runner but it's the positives don't outweigh the negatives there. And if if you're looking at the long-term picture, then yeah, you're much better to to stay healthy and train and race at a healthy weight so that everything keeps working properly. And yeah, I think it, I think like any endurance athlete, I think even just seeing a sports dietitian is really helpful because like for me, I didn't, I really would never have thought that I was under fueling because I, felt like I ate a lot so getting somebody to look at it properly and and give you that advice and yeah give you give you numbers of what you need to you know what you need to be hitting to stay, stay healthy is is actually really helpful and obviously there's you know there's an, a bit of an obsessive nature with endurance, endurance athletes that people need to be careful of with with all of those things but yeah I think ultimately if your goal is performance then if you can Stay within a healthy weight range and fuel properly. Then that's the way to go.
0: Yeah, that was that was, buddy, fascinating. Um, and thanks for sharing that. Alright. Hey, um, I just want to t- take it back to, to training for a second. Do you have uh, like, I, I know you've already talked about that you really love that longer sort of more marathon specific training, but um, on the flip side of that, is there any training that, that when you see it on a program, you just absolutely dread it and hate uh, and don't want to do or do you just avoid that sort of thing and, and, and make sure your training's always fun? Um,
1: yeah, so I hate like 300 reps, 400 reps, I don't mind sessions where they have a bit of that within it and then they also have longer reps, but I hate like a pure speed VO2 session, like eight by 400 really hard with long recoveries. I hate that. Yep. <laughs> I still do it. I do what Julian says, but I don't enjoy it. And I, I don't, I'm not good at it, yeah. which is probably partly why I don't enjoy it. But yeah, I also, I feel I feel like I get more out of, um, like the, the more aerobic sessions anyway. And then I quite enjoy, you know, a few faster reps at the end to work on that finishing speed, which is, it's something that I really do need to work on. My anaerobic stuff is not good, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I just don't, I don't enjoy it and I don't really feel like it works out well for me.
0: Yeah. Um, and is your plan going forward? Are you just all in on the marathon now? So you, you obviously went to the Olympic marathon. Um, you just said then that you're training or you were planning to train for the Melbourne marathon. Is, is that where your future is? Is it just all, all roads lead, lead to the marathon and, um, and what's your goal going forward?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think the marathon's the event that I have the most potential in the 10 K I enjoy, but I don't, I probably yeah. Similar to what I was saying before, I don't think I have the the speed or the finishing speed to ever be a really good 10 K runner in the bigger 10 K races that I've done, you know, I can hang in there for a while, but as soon as they start dropping 60 something second laps, I'm just thrown off the back because I just don't have that change of speed. Even if I'm feeling good in a race, I, I just can't pick up the pace that much. Uh, and I think, yeah, in the years to come, I think if I can keep kind of building my mileage and getting more marathons and more years of training under my belt, I feel like I can improve more in that event than any other event. So yeah, I'll keep, I'll keep racing 10 Ks and half marathons. I'll keep avoiding five Ks like the plague as much as I can. And then, yeah, hopefully uh, the goal will be to, particularly for major championships, the goal will be to try and qualify for the marathon.
0: Yeah, and is that is that what the plan is like? If you're, when you're sort of thinking about it yourself, do you think that you can, you know, win an Olympic marathon? Do you do you just are you just happy to be there? Where where do you see the next you know few years for you? What what do you think you can do?
1: Um, I definitely don't think I can win an Olympic marathon. <laughs> the yeah, like the the pace and the times that some of the the East African girls are running is just insane. Mm. Um. So that's probably not my goal to be honest. But I, I certainly think like I would love to to go again and take a few more risks. I think my first Olympics being Tokyo, we, you know, I trained really hard, but I feel like we were also really conscious of not getting injured, not doing anything too crazy. Everything was very controlled. Even my race plan because of the heat was very, you know, in the end, it was like the only negative split I've ever done in a marathon and probably the one of the smarter races I've ever run, but I would like to go to the next Olympics with that one behind me and to feel like, all right, you know, I can put a bit more out there today and I can take a few more risks in the lead in because, you know, I've, I've done it before I've ticked it off. And now I actually want to compete for a plate. Like when I say place, not like a medal, but you know, a higher finishing place than, than Tokyo.
0: Yeah. Yep, and I, I don't want to keep you for too much longer, but just a, a couple more questions. Yeah, yeah.
1: When you're
0: when you're training, I know obviously you train with a with a pretty good group, a a pretty big group. Do you find that as a like as a female distance runner, it's hard to find other other females to run as fast as you and train with, and therefore you you do all your running with guys, or or how did, how has that worked for you?
1: Yeah, um, I mean it's certainly there's a lot of guys that are a similar pace to me. So we've been really lucky with our surf coast track club group that there are most of the guys I would say are a little faster than me, which I, that's quite good for me as well. Um, it pushes me a bit more in training because I'm trying to keep up with them. Um, we've got some really good girls in our group as well, which is great. And, you know, we, we do a lot of our warm cool downs together and long runs will often at least start together, and then even if the group sort of splits as we go, you know, it's still yeah, we've still got some some really good girls there. And, and Bree, Julian's wife, like when we were in uh, Noosa training for the Olympics, like she was uh, t- pregnant <laughs> and she was jumping in and out of my sessions, doing, you know, like uh, she'd jump in for two hundred or four hundred and and help out. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty lucky in that way. But certainly as a female, there's not the same depth I guess or yeah if I you know like you look at groups like Melbourne Track Club and they've got a really strong group of girls where they can do a big group session together and and I've been lucky to go and do some sessions with those girls as well but I like I really enjoy our group and uh the guys the guys are really good to train with and they push me and i yeah, I don't, it doesn't bother me. Like whether I'm training with girls or guys, it's just nice to have people to run with. And even if there's not people at the exact same pace, like having, having people around you just in front of you and just behind you is, is really good.
0: Yeah. And is there any of those like particular guys that you train with that you like to, you know, if, if there's a session that it's a, it's like, um, one of your main goals is just to beat up on that guy, um, because you know, they'd salt up about it. (laughs)
1: Oh yeah for sure so (laughs) there's
0: a few
1: (laughs) (laughs) so well yeah so I've done a lot of training with Jared McMullen over the years and um yeah we always get pretty competitive particularly in the longer marathon stuff and lately I well Blake before he moved away I did lots of training with him he got a bit too fast for me in the end he once he got fit again so I had to sort of concede to the fact that he was fitter than me, but Craig Davis as well. He's one of the guys in our group who's a triathlete too. And he's, he's faster than me definitely. But I, I think I do quite a bit more mileage than him and yeah, we've had some good tussles in, in longer sessions. So yeah, it's, it's really good. I have to be careful because I love uh racing people in training and I have to rein that in every now and then Jules lets me go. And like in some of the marathon workouts leading into Tokyo he kind of let me go at the end and push the pace a bit but yeah most of the time i have to be careful not to not to do that <laughs> cuz i like it a bit too much <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's uh it's funny how like but do you think that you could be the runner you are without a group or do you think to be a professional athlete in general you need a group around you
1: uh i think i need a group i don't i don't think everybody needs a group i think some people are very like self-driven and can can push themselves you know just as hard solo as they can in a group environment I don't know that it would ever be as enjoyable but yeah I coach people that do all their workouts by themselves and they they really like that I for me I think one of the biggest things in getting better as a runner was finding a group a group of people like particularly the group in Geelong that they're actually really fun people as well and we all had a lot in common you know we were all sort of in our 20s working uni whatever and it was fun and it was social and we do things outside of running together as well and I think that's been a big thing that sort of kept me loving the sport and I yeah like any easy runs sessions long runs it's so much better in a group and yeah I certainly don't think I could be someone that would be able to go out and do you know two hard sessions a week and a 30k long run solo. I think it, I just probably wouldn't enjoy running that much if that was how
0: mm. I trained. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I think, uh, I think I'm going to leave it there just because I've taken up so much of your time. Um, uh, but thanks so much for, for coming on no Um, and
1: oh, no worries, Jack.
0: yeah, I, I, I loved listening to every minute of that. I could, I could keep talking to you for another hour. Um, <laughs> no dramas, um, something to finish on for everyone listening. What's the, I know it's like a hard question, but and a lot of people ask this question, particularly on podcasts like this, but but I love this question. What is what is a bit of advice you would give to just someone listening who is your everyday runner, athlete, just how to get better? What can they do with their training that will make them better?
1: Uh, I think, yeah, there's probably a couple of things that that I found really helped me and that I think are important. One of them, like we just spoke about, is finding a group or – even just one friend to do some of your runs with it, it keeps you accountable and it makes it so much more enjoyable than, than doing things solo. So yeah, if you, if you don't know anyone, like there's, you know, there's so many different uh, community groups these days that, that do training sessions and long runs. So I'd be seeking that out, getting a coach. Like if you, if you have trouble with injuries or uh, motivation for some people, it's actually really nice to have it written down what you've got to do each day and that structure. And you sort of feel a little more obliged to do it. I think when somebody else has, has written it down for you, but even the guidance on, you know, pacing and workouts because anybody can you know go out and try and run five days a week. But if you're running too fast every day, you'll end up getting injured and just, it's so hard to get that consistency when you're getting injuries regularly. And also running's not as enjoyable when you're just smashing yourself every day. So finding a coach that can sort of structure your weeks to give you those down days as well as the hard days, I think can be really a good thing for improving and longevity in the sport. Yeah. And do races. Races are fun. That yep. like the only way that I can stay motivated for training is by racing, as I kind of touched on right at the start. So you know, pick a, pick a fun run. I reckon the bigger the run, the more fun it is. So <laughs> pick something to aim for and yeah, that'll, that'll make your training more enjoyable too. And there's a real purpose behind it.
0: Love it. Awesome.
1: Cool. Thanks Jack.
0: Thanks for coming Ali. It was uh, yeah, like I said, it was a, uh, it was a bloody pleasure to have you on. So really appreciate it. No worries. Awesome. Cool. See ya. Done. (laughs) (laughs) It's always weird when you're like saying bye at the end, but (laughs) you know.